0: Everybody, Scott Burnside back for another episode of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. We're going to be joined later in the podcast by new Pierre. I have to look and make sure my notes here. New Vegas Golden Knights head coach, Pete DeBoer. I'm so used to thinking of Pete as being, of course, a San Jose Shark head coach, which he isn't anymore. But uh, Pete's going to join us later in the podcast to talk about his tumultuous season and where the Golden Knights are at. And how are you doing my friend I, I feel I feel I'm a bit out of touch with you I just I, I feel we need to have a, a bit of a hug I know you're very busy trade deadline is always probably right along with the draft um, period the, the, the most stressful time of the year for you uh, uh, how are you feeling give me a scale of one to ten how are you feeling <laughs>
1: I need to be exercising more. That's the only thing. Too much time staring at my phone and my uh, computer screen at this time of year. But uh, I'm all right. You know, right. I've, I've learned to... I think I've learned to deal with this time of year better than I used to when I was younger. And I guess a lot of that is just experience and uh, and uh, understanding that there's only so many things you can control.
0: And otherwise, I'm ready. It's been busy already. I- well, and that's so. Let's start there. I want to I want to circle back. I want to talk about Ovi and the Ovechkin and the the race to seven hundred beyond, and we're going to talk about some other stuff. But let's let's talk trade deadline. I mean, that's really I, I'm a bit surprised, frankly, because we're two and a half weeks right to February twenty fourth. Um, lots of teams. I get lots of teams are are still. Don't know where they are vis-a-vis buying or selling. Nashville, Chicago, we watched them last night to overtime loss to Minnesota. Um, you know, some teams, you know, for me, Montreal, you, they're selling, Rangers selling. But are you surprised that we haven't seen more tangible Action, Because, I mean, there are certainly I think of a guy like Jim Rutherford, who has historically liked to do his shopping early. I mean, obviously, Arizona acquiring Taylor Hall, which seems like a million years ago. um, There really hasn't been there hasn't been anything that's happened yet. And I wonder if that surprises you, given that, you know, we are we're less than three weeks out
1: um i guess to some degree i mean especially when you think about a guy like jim rutherford in pittsburgh who loves to make his deals one month out and and has had that hole to feel for jake gensel ever since he went down and has been talking to teams i've written you know a bunch about it and um you know certainly the desire is there to make that move but it just hasn't happened yet and i think what's happening for the most part is that the standings are just too close And that there are teams that just can't decide, not just whether or not they're definitely sellers, but there are lots of teams that aren't sure they want to be buyers yet. (laughs) And, you know, I'll bring up a team that's quite interesting to me, is the Calgary Flames, who um, saw Captain Mark Giordano go down last night, Scotty. And there's no word yet as we tape this on the severity of the injury. So we want to be careful. But if it's for any length of time, I mean, how does that change what they were going to do at the deadline? I mean, they're not... Secure in their playoff spot, right? They're only three points up as we tape this on three teams, Nashville, Chicago, and Winnipeg, all three points behind the Calgary Flames for the last wild card. Um, I think the Flames were willing to perhaps move one, or, one of their defensemen in a hockey deal if they could get a top six forward, potentially. I don't know, maybe you can't do that now if Mark Giordano is out a while. And again, we don't know if, you know by the time people <laughs> listen to this podcast we'll probably get trumped by the news of the day but nevertheless I'm giving you an example of things that happen within two and a half weeks of the trade deadline that you could not
0: have envisioned that also uh, really affect your plans well and I, I you know obviously the Giordano situation in Calgary which and and as, as you point out we don't know for sure certainly the initial reactions around that team after a <clears throat> Very disheartening loss to a pretty ordinary San Jose team that is definitely going to be in cell mode. Um, yeah, it does throw. You know, you have to wonder where Brad Living is 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 looking now. As you mentioned, I, I think his focus would have been a right hand shot top six winger. Um, but what do you do now? And and their team, they're such an interesting team. Right now, they have a minus 19 goal differential. Like, they're just I, – I, I can't get my head around that team. I mean, it's a team that was the top team in the Western Conference last year, and I know you expected maybe that they would settle back in the standings this year, that maybe that was, you know, more – that that was not something that was repeatable necessarily. But they've gone from the top seed in the West to a team – you know, if you look at those teams now with Nashville and Chicago charging – I don't know. Like, I, I, it's just so hard to get your head around that team. I, they they fall into the underachiever category for me, even though they're sitting in a playoff spot today. And if you're Brad for living, where you're right. Where which side of the like? Where do you go in terms of, you know, spending assets and and making a move when you're this close? And I don't know. Like, do you like them? Are they a playoff team in your mind? I think they're a playoff
1: team, but. But I would not spend my way out of an injury situation. You know, like I think you have to hang tight as opposed to double down in that case. By the way, was that your phone ringing? Sorry.
0: I, I, if, if you if, were if John, John Tort-
1: Totorella, If John Totorella was on our podcast right now, you'd be dead meat, man.
0: <laughs> it might have actually come from, uh, um, well, it came from one of our colleagues. It's about another story. It's all right. Yeah. But, and you're right. Um, and I will tell you, my phone almost never rings. It's a weird thing, right? It's still, it just doesn't ring. So there you go. Um, but, so here's another, so it, it's a different, different um, dynamic because we're not uh, talking about an injury. Well, actually, I'm going to stay with the injury thing because this is, you know, as you point out with two and a half weeks to go, you, you know, you, you have a team, you're, you are you know, you have a plan moving forward. Yes, we're buying. We'd like to fill this hole, but the the unexpected can change everything in in a heartbeat. And even though it's been the subject of a lot of discussion all year, the Toronto Maple Leafs, of course, now facing you know the the. The harsh reality, at least in the short term, that Frederick Anderson Frederick Anderson is, is isn't going to be able to play. He's not going to play uh, this evening after the taping of of this podcast. So Michael Hutchinson's the guy right now. Um, do, is there a danger if you're a GM in overreacting to um, to an injury like this, or is that just that comes with the territory? That if you're Kyle Dubis, you really need to rethink. You know, instead of trying to bolster the back end, and maybe you're trading Kasperi Kapanen to do that, that now you have to go back and say, you know what, we are going to go to a different plan between now and February 24th. Or what do? You, how do you see that unfolding? I, I, I
1: mean, two different things there. Obviously, I mean, I, I think the search for a top four right hand in D is something that the Leafs would have to do this summer anyway. Right. Yeah. So you might as well try and get it done now if if it makes sense and and you're not, you know doing something stupid so I I like that plan I think you 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 really got to be careful while I do think they need to upgrade the backup goalie position I'd be really careful about overpaying and overpaying for a guy that perhaps is barely any better than Michael Hutchinson that's where the trap is for me that that particular problem if it was that easy to upgrade that much on the backup position why didn't they do it last summer well (laughs) Um, The reality is they're they're hamstrung by the cap and have so much money to spend on the number two goalie. I still think they should look at it, but I'd I, I be careful. And it's funny because, you know, I've heard some names of, of young backups, you know, mentioned whether it's Gorgiev or, um, you know, I think uh, Elliot Freeman mentioned uh, Jack Campbell this week. I, I get the whole, the young guy you can groom. This... Particular urgency with the Leafs at the backup position is not about <laughs> the next five years right. as much as it's about salvaging this season. I, I I'd be going for a veteran rental at the at the at the backup goalie position. Whereas for the top four right handed D, I'd be very much looking at the bigger picture and saying let's try and take care of what's been a hole for a long time here for for many years to come. So I I would have two completely different approaches there, and I think some of this is to some level being discussed uh, by Leafs management. But, you know, we'll see what they do with the backup goalie position. You know, do, do they just... I mean, in the last 24 hours, I've not yet found the team that told me, yeah, the Leafs reached out. And believe me, I've found some pretty obvious destinations. So maybe the Leafs want to give Hutchinson, you know, one more week before they start making calls. Um, and And... and convince themselves that for sure they have
0: to do that. Right. Well, and that, I mean, the Leafs are, I mean, is there, is there someone you like? Like if you're, you're Kyle Dubas and you're looking up and down the list and, and I think you're right, right? I mean, Gorgiev is as a restricted free agent and certainly a young goaltender with lots of upside. Uh, okay. Do you, he's going to cost a lot more than Craig Anderson or you know, wherever you go with that, who do you like though? I mean, Craig Anderson's an interesting guy in in Ottawa. Um, you know, a guy who's played a lot of good hockey, often in uh, in front of or behind, I suppose, uh, not very good teams, but a guy who has, you know, he's he's been there, right? He's a veteran guy, a guy that you could fit in there. Uh, you know, at some point, Stan Bowman's going to have to come to grips with. What they're doing in Chicago, he's got two goaltenders in Corey Crawford and Robin Leonard, both of whom are headed to unrestricted free agency possibly. So do you like – is there a guy that you like as a potential fit given that we're not entirely sure the immediate injury status of Frederick Anderson? And and beyond that, making sure that Frederick Anderson, A, you got to be in a playoff spot. That goes without saying. But that he is maybe not worn down, which I think has been an issue maybe the last couple Mm -hmm. of years before the playoffs.
1: Well, I mean, first of all, I, I, Chicago would have to really hit the skids here to even contemplate moving Leonard or Crawford, I think, because they're they're in this. They're three points out as we tape this. I mean, I, I think they want to give their team every chance possible to make the playoffs this year. I think it matters a lot to them. It matters in their market. And sure. because of that, I don't know why you'd be trading Crawford or Leonard if you were within four or five points of a playoff spot, in my opinion. Um, but we'll see. Um, and and I certainly think there's a strong desire at the very least to try and re-sign Leonard. And there have been a bit of back and forth between the Hawks and, and Newport sports who represents Robin Leonard. Um, you know, the guy I like that doesn't get mentioned at all. Uh, and maybe it's because people have just assumed that maybe he's not available because he's now the number one goalie is Aaron Dell. And, and, and I'll tell you why, because the Leafs have no cap room and he makes the least of almost all of these goalie options that have been, Speculate, He makes $1.9 million. Uh, he's UFA July 1st, so that's not a big commitment for the Leafs moving forward. Um, now, I have no... Uh, at this point, I have no proof to say that he's even available other than, like, <laughs> the, you know, the Sharks have, you know, have spent some picks to, to be competitive forever. Uh, conference finals against last year. I don't know. Like if you were offered a a second round pick for Dell and maybe a second round pick on a prospect. I mean, would you not have to think of that if you were Doug Wilson? Um and, and certainly from the Leafs' perspective, Dell has already had the experience of, you know, a lot of pressure on his shoulders as he had to step in for Martin Jones. Not just this year when it's been more of a permanent thing, but even last year when there were times when Martin Jones struggled, Dell had some looks so he's kind of lived with that. My point is that if Frederick Anderson ever, you know, uh, needed time off or had another injury or whatever, I feel like if you're going to pull a guy out of the bullpen in a market like Toronto with the crazy uh, pressure right now in spotlight that you want a guy that's at least been through some of it. And I think Garandell would fit that bill.
0: You know, the, the guy that I've looked at, and again, he controls his own fate in, in um, you know, with a no trade, no move clause, and, <clears throat> but a guy who you talk about pressure. What about Ryan Miller in Anaheim? Right. I mean, he's he's yeah uh, he's been a you know what I one I love about Ryan Miller eh, is that he would be a guy that would have zero problem in my mind going into the marketplace in Toronto. Right. He's uh, you know he's he now he's he's thirty nine years old. But if, if all you're talking about you know, is maybe it's five starts or whatever the number is now. Maybe it's seven to ten, whatever the number is. Pending Frederick Anderson, but you know, there's a guy who is has played very, and you know, he's been pretty good in in Anaheim, where while that team tries to sort out what its future is going to look like. And, and and again, I have I have no suggestion. You know, his life is out on the West Coast now, so you know, there's there's a high level of comfort there. But uh, you know, a guy at this stage of his career. You know, maybe you know, would that intrigue him? A chance to you know go into the pressure, you know, dip your toe into the pressure cooker, and and uh, and see. And again, probably wouldn't cost you much, right? And you can about to become a UFA, and who knows, you know, what what lies ahead. So, I, I would throw that out there, and I, I'm I'm with you on go, yeah. but I throw that out there.
1: Yeah, and you know, um Brian Miller's life is very much in Southern California, as as we know now. So I I think you'd have to figure out. You know, I I said this on Leafs Lunch uh, on TSN earlier today. It's one thing to ask a veteran player at the end of their careers. And, you know, I'm not suggesting Ryan Miller's done. Maybe he'll come back for another year. But it's one thing to ask a guy at the end of his career whether he wants to go and change teams for two months. It's another even to ask a guy to change teams for two months and maybe only play twice. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> like true. we're talking about the backup goalie, yeah no, and, and it's kind of something that crossed my mind like Ryan Miller who's accomplished so much in his career uh you know and you know hey do you want to go help this team and we might just need you two or three times I don't know I, I mean I get it you, you you love the insurance and as a team and you love all that and I think you know I think it was Frank Saravelli who wrote he loves Ryan Miller as a fit but I think you got to make sure Ryan Miller's okay with it, and and who knows if Ryan Miller wants to come back for another year. And I don't know that he does, but if he does, and he wants to do it in Anaheim, then I think if you're the Ducks, you just want to keep him and and
0: keep him in the fold at that point. Yeah. Uh, But to me, this raises another interesting question, and um, you know, we we talk about we we mentioned the San Jose Sharks, and they have a couple of guys who are you know certainly I, I Joe Thornton for sure. Is a Hall of Famer in my books? Patrick Marlowe is certainly definitely Hall of Fame worthy in terms of the discussion of his career and his productivity, all those kinds of things. Um, same kind of thing, though, right? I mean, in terms of, you know, maybe the impact on a contender isn't that great. I, I don't know why, but there's such a, there's almost a romantic notion of, you know, especially with a guy like well, both those guys because neither of them won a Stanley Cup, the idea that they could find a place and go on a long playoff run. And, you know, that was so exciting last year, you know, watching uh, um, Joe Thornton and, uh, go in the West Final and a couple wins away from going to a Stanley Cup Final and maybe playing against his old team in Boston. It, it, I guess you have to, you know, certainly GMs aren't in this for the romance, but as a, as a fan of the game, and you know both those guys really well, What's why do you think we're so intrigued by the idea of geez I wonder if I wonder if there's a place like is Patrick Marlowe a fit in in Denver with the Avs, who are a, a really good team and maybe an extra veteran voice or presence? Maybe that's the tipping point in in a West that I think is is very wide open. What do you think of those but those guys and and the possibility that they could have one last hurrah and and maybe find at the very end? You know, that, that pot of gold, that Stanley Cup ring that saluted both of them.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about that the last couple of days. And um, I, I I don't know yet that they've made up their minds on that, right? And I haven't talked to either one either. So I, I'd just be speculating at this point. I think, again, kind of like Ryan Miller, I think when it comes to Joe Thornton, the first thing you got to ask, Scotty, is that, does he want to come back and play another year? Right. And, and if he does, then I don't know why he'd want to leave San Jose. If he knew he was coming back for another year, and and I think a lot of the people there, from Doug Wilson on down, believe that they can have a bounce back here next year. And so I think he, Joe Thornton would want to be part of that. But if he's not sure that he's coming back next year, then then that changes the the dynamic for sure. Um, again, I I haven't you know talked to San Jose about this, so I, I'm just speculating, but. I would tell you that it's not something where Doug Wilson would go go to Joe Thornton about it. It would be the other way around. There's so much respect for Joe Thornton that it would really be left to Joe Thornton to decide his fate and go to the Sharks and say, you know what, Uh, depending on the team, let me know. And and I think everyone's probably waiting for Joe Thornton to let them know that. Um, You know, and, you, you know, Joe Smith speculated about a fit in Tampa. I mean... I think if you're going to be Joe Thornton and and even contemplate it, you want to be super picky and think about a team as much as you can in the parody NHL, a team that, you know, has that chance. And I would certainly list Tampa as among those teams that has a very good chance. So I find, I, you know, part of me is like, I just don't think Joe Thornton's heart's in that idea, but it's one of those things that can grow in a player as you get closer to February 24th. And we've yeah. seen that in the past as well.
0: You know, as a fan, and certainly as someone who you know will be writing about the playoffs, uh, you know the the idea of that kind of yes, yeah, it's just would would be you know an added jolt of drama or or whatever it is, and it'll be interesting to see whether that 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 shakes down. Um, and, and the other the other team that uh, is certainly in the playoff mix, although it's sort of they're in that cluster of teams in the Western Conference you you mentioned Nashville, Chicago, Winnipeg all with 57 points so they're all 3 points behind Calgary which is currently in the second wild card spot um and of course the Jets look like they're moving towards a mutual termination of their contract with Dustin Bufflin and now that opens if let's assume it happens in in a timely fashion that that solves one issue for GM Kevin Chevel day off in Winnipeg um but does it does it provide the kind of clarity that he needs in terms of well what do i what do i do now with some cap flexibility and some some hmm. certainty on whether Dustin Bufflin's coming back or not uh, what do you like what do you make of the jets and when you when you factor in those teams that are on the outside hanging around um, Winnipeg, Chicago, Nashville, what do, where do you see the Jets fitting into all that? Well,
1: first of all, I think we can safely assume Dustin Bufflin won't be playing for the Jets.
0: Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah,
1: correct. Uh, all signs point towards the uh, mutual termination, which uh, isn't done yet as we tape this, but hopefully over the next week, both sides will get some closure. And by the way, I should address something because it's been asked of me on, on the radio last couple of days, and, and it's a good question. Because it's really at the heart of this, everyone understands what the Jets get out of this. You know, they they get they get out from underneath the you know what was left on that contract. Uh, they get cap room. They can go out and trade for a D. All the reasons are obvious from the team perspective. But I've been asked a couple of times now, "What's in it for Justin Bufflin? Why are you walking away from all that money?"
0: <laughs> right.
1: And I, and I think you know the best uh, way to explain it that it was explained to me by someone is that for Dustin Bufflin it's it's about the fact that he can be UFA now and cut all strings with the Jets and, and I don't know that there's that much animosity but I think just from the perspective that if and when he ever wants to play again he can do it where he wants and doesn't have to worry about asking for a trade about getting traded where he wants about this, about that about reporting to the Jets for it, putting in some time there I think it it's it certainly and again this is my opinion I haven't talked to Dustin Bufflin, I don't think anyone has. Um, but I think the, the the idea of no strings attached, I'm totally free, would appeal greatly to Dustin Bufflin. And, you know, I don't think we'll see him this year. I mean, I, I don't think he's in a position to ramp it up at this point. But, you know, UFA heading into the summer, see how he feels. Does he want to play hockey again? And if he does, he could sign. He decides as UFA where he, where he goes. And I think that has great appeal to Dustin Bufflin um you know in the meantime for the jets i mean it if and when they get this termination thing through having that cap room and that clarity is huge i mean they, they can go out now and make offers on uh, on d which they really need you know whether it's an alec martinez in la or you know uh, uh one of the many buffalo sabers defensemen that are on the market uh um uh, you know i think there's a, a lot of different options out there for um you know, for the Jets, and and I think they'll be pretty aggressive about it as long as they stay in the race here for the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, do you do you see the Jets in the same way that <clears throat> that that you see San Jose in in some ways, and certainly the Jets are in a much better spot vis a vis a potential playoff berth, but they, they aren't what they aren't what they were two years ago. Certainly, the whole Bufflin thing and 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 what happened along the blue line. The, all connected in in some ways to the Bufflin thing and, and having moved key parts in the off season, assuming Bufflin was going to be back. Mm-hmm. Is this, if it's not this year, and if you're Kevin Chevelday off, my guess is if you could add a um, defensive piece that had term, that's the, that would be the way to go. But do you see this as a team if they don't make it? And right now they, I would have to put them probably behind Nashville and, and Chicago in terms of current level of play and, and the ability to dislodge teams and actually make a, 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 um, a way into the top eight in the West. But this is a team, the way they're built, that that could bounce back quickly. Like if you have to – if you're Kevin Sheveldayev and you say, you know what, I'm not – I'm not sending picks out. I'm keeping keeping my powder dry. If I can add a player with term, I'll I'll do that. But otherwise, I'm okay because I think we're still pretty close. And next year, we'll we'll take another run at it. Or do you? Because I I think you're right with San Jose, right? I mean, they got to fix the goaltending, but um, you know, there's lots of lots to like about San Jose, and there's no reason to think, uh, you know, on on many levels that they couldn't bounce right back next year. Do you see the Jets in the same kind of way? I do, uh, but the difference is I think there's a lot more urgency
1: for the Jets to try and get in. I mean, listen, the Sharks the Sharks have had one of the great runs of the modern era in terms of, what is it, 14 out of 15 years and five conference finals and a cup final. They're allowed to take a knee this year. The Jets are still sort of in the infancy of, of mattering. And, you know, they, they, they went to a Western Conference final two years ago, lost in the first round last year. The salary cap has taken a bite out of them. They're not ready to say, let's take two steps back. I don't think. I think it's like, let's go. Let's hang in here and hope that our goalie can steal us the first round. I, I, I mean, I I don't think. I I just think if they stay within three or four points, Scotty, they want to get in and do whatever they can to get in, uh, is my sense of it. And, um, and, and with that in mind, um, I, I agree with you that I'd rather see them trade for a guy that's not a rental. But. Um, You know, at the end of the day, you're at the mercy of what's out there. And it may be that they can get a hockey deal done. Let's say they're willing to trade a young guy like Jack Roslovic, who, um, you know, promising forward, but it just hasn't totally clicked consistently uh, as a Winnipeg Jet. Would you be willing to move him in a
0: hockey deal for a defenseman? I I think that's something the Jets would look at. Yeah. Uh, It's it's so much fun to to look in and to to see the races where they are. And uh, I'm curious about where you we've talked about the other teams in this in this clump there and within the last week like i think if you and I, I don't know whether we talked about it last week but certainly a week ago i would have definitely pushed nashville into the uh seller category uh things it just looked yeah, i mean just looked very grisly there and it doesn't i mean nothing is for certain but right now they are a team with games in hand three points back of calgary um, four points back of Arizona with three games to hand on Arizona, and all of a sudden it's just sort of slowly like it's not always pretty. I and I watch a I watch a, a lot of the Preds, um, it's not always pretty, um, but there's a they have slowly started to put together, you know, something something there, and I wonder if, of the three teams, and they're all Central Division teams that are hanging around the outside, and where do you see the Nashville Predators? in that mix and especially, you know, David Poyle has got some he's got some issues. He's got Michael Granlin, he's got Craig Smith. Uh, I have to imagine that teams are calling about Nick Benino if they felt that the Preds are, are going to sell. And I think he's got one more year left on his deal. But he's also a GM that like Jim Rutherford has never been afraid, if he feels that there's an opening, mm-hmm. to, to make an ad. And now this team You know, and I guess to your point of earlier, right? You just some teams just don't know yet. And over the course of the last week or so, the Preds look like a little bit more like the team I think a lot of us expected they would be this year, which is a team I thought would be securely in the top three in the Central.
1: I think there's very few teams that are going to tip the balance of the trade deadline more than the National Predators, (laughs) because whether they are buyers or sellers is going to have a, a pretty big impact. Of course, they may just decide to to do nothing, neither, which wouldn't be the worst decision. They've given up a lot of futures over the years at the deadline. Um, but, you know, if they, if, if they fall out of it and they became sellers, suddenly you got Granlin, you got Craig Smith, um, you know, potentially Nick Bonino has got a year and a half left. You got a lot of decisions to make perhaps, but, I'm with you. I'm starting to see the real Predators here of late, and they're certainly in it. I mean, the three back as we tape this. So, um, And I think if there's ever a situation where you're sitting on the fence and you're David Poyle, you're going to want to be, let's still believe in this team, as opposed to the opposite, I think, given um, you know the kind of, of team that you've built and the expectations that you had for this year. Um, but they're, they're, they're definitely a team that you really look at the results every night, I think, and say, wow, that win or that loss could greatly affect February 24th. That's really true for them.
0: Yeah. Once, and, and, you know, David Poyle as well was as anyone, but it, there's a guy that has, like he doesn't, he doesn't like to see the assets walk out the door, right? Like he's that he's been pretty firm on that, right? It's happened to him in the past. You go back to whether it was Ryan Suter or Dan Hamless or whatever. That's though he's he's a guy that wants to make sure that he is protecting his future assets. So it's it will be a fascinating two and a half weeks to see where they're at and which side he you know steps out on. Like at some point, if he feels no, it's not going to happen, then I have to believe that he will do everything he can to maximize those. Um, well, certainly in Granlin and Smith, unless he thinks he can bring them back, that he's he will be looking to move them. But it's he, they're also a team, and maybe the Jets are a little bit like this in your mind, but Nashville is one of those teams that if they if they sneak in, are they the kind of team, given the way they're built, given Pecorino, all those things that all of a sudden they could be a team that, that just becomes a handful by the second week of April?
1: Uh, totally, with their experience and... You know, the adversity that they would have gone through all year just to get in, those are always the dangerous teams. I mean, I, you know, I think of Columbus a year ago. Um, I only mentioned this because I have a piece running tomorrow. I spoke with Guillermo Cacalainen about the amazing run that the Blue Jackets are on this year. And by the way, a lot of people eating their words after basically writing them off because of the Panarin and Bobrovsky and Matt Duchesne UFA defections but you know a year ago Columbus wasn't even in a playoff spot at the deadline and of course they went all in and and got in as the eight seeds but that that pressure of getting in and playing playoff hockey from the trade deadline on for Columbus I think absolutely galvanized their mentality and their and their preparation for that first round upset over Tampa and by the way people you know people kind of dismiss this but they gave Boston all they could handle, too, in that second-round loss, I tell you. I mean, that was a tough series for the Boston Bruins. But Nashville could be that team in the West this year. That that after all these ups and downs and, and you know, a coaching fire and potential trades and the idea that buyers or sellers and as Pekka Rinne lost his fastball and all these different things... If they get in, it's a it's a new season, and it has a sort of a freeing effect mentally on those teams when they get to the second season and realize their record at that point is no different than the team they're playing. They're zero and zero, and here we go. And uh, I, I think the Preds would be very dangerous if they slid in there.
0: Brian Ellis back on the ice, and, and I'm not sure when he'll be back. And uh, certainly, after being lost early in the Winter Classic, after uh, Corey Perry. Shot to the head. That's uh, another reason for optimism. If you're a Preds fan, or if you're David Poyle, that uh, hopefully sooner than later Ryan Ellis will get back on the ice, and that changes, you know, the the complexion of that team as, as well. So, um, all right. So we're getting towards the end of this edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. We're going to hear from Pete DeBoer in a bit, but. Um, I want to talk about a guy named Alex Ovechkin. You might have heard of him, and uh, I thought it was fascinating last night. I was flicking around to a bunch of different games, and I saw it It was Tom Galetti from NHL.com, and it it was in the third period, I'm pretty sure, and at that point, Ovechkin had no shots on net, and I don't think had even attempted a shot on goal, and they were trailing the LA Kings, and then all of a sudden, of course, he ends up finishing the night with three more goals, including an empty night, which I... I wonder if he went back how many empty netters he's had in his career. Probably not too, too many, because I'm not sure he's a guy who's generally on the ice in that situation. But three more goals at 698. How important is this story? And obviously getting to 700, um, so few players have, have reached that level. And, and now really the attention I think will turn even more prominently to, okay, can can he catch Wayne Gretzky in how important is this story? What do you, What do you when you think of it? What What comes to mind for you?
1: Oh, it's just it really is. I mean, first of all, let's just start with the here and now before we look at the the legacy part. I mean, he's on pace for sixty-one goals, which would be the second greatest season of his career. I know. Like, what's going on here? I mean, I know he's a fifty-goal scorer, but we're talking sixty here, which of course his career best was sixty-five. Uh, way back early in his career, so that in itself is amazing. Now, not to take anything away from from Alex, but you know, scoring is up around the league, and which is great to see, by the way. Um, but still, uh, what he's doing is is just it's just mind mind blowing. Uh, I traded text with Wayne Gretzky last weekend when uh, when Ovechkin passed uh, Messier and, and Gretzky. Just one word, he just said, "unreal." Like he's he's wowing the greats of the game with what he's doing. And it, it really is amazing. Um and, and I think it's a legitimate question. Can he crack, catch Kretzky? Now, granted, no one wants to be captain negative in this story because there's no currency in it. But granted, you know, from here, age 34 to age 40 are going to be the tougher years, right? I mean, For that's sure, where... Yeah suddenly your your body starts to feel differently um you know you're you maybe lose half a step who knows what i mean ever not everyone ages the same way joe thornton you know is not a first line player anymore but he's still uh, a pretty good force out there at the age of 40 so who knows you know maybe that's alex ovechkin now his goal production will decrease over time here the question is how much, you know, and can he can he squeeze 196 goals still in the next, you know, <laughs> five, six years of his career? It's going to be a fun story to monitor for sure. And, um, you know, he's been a durable player. So at this point, other than the simple fact that most NHL players regress in their 30s, in their late 30s, there's no other reason to think that he will other than that, right? Because he's been extremely durable and consistent.
0: It really is interesting, and it's. I actually wrote a piece just thinking about some of the, you know, interactions that I've had with Ovechkin over the years, including at one point, And I, I don't know if I, if you ever remember this, but I, I <clears throat> was called on at the last minute to go and do a very brief one-on-one. Video like television interview with both Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin before the 2011 Winter Classic. They didn't even. I think they don't even use my voice. They just use their answers. But anyway, it's not about me. But during my interview <laughs> with, with with Alex Ovechkin in Washington at the practice facility, the freelance camera guy pulled the light standard down by mistake and nearly hit Ovechkin in the head with this giant cam or with the giant light standard. And, uh, I, I just assume, you know, yeah, it, it could have been chaotic, but Ovechkin was like nonplussed. He just kept grinning, goes, oh, that was pretty close or whatever, but never, you know, wasn't angry <laughs> or anything like that. So I just think of the times that, that we have, we've crossed paths over the years and he's, you know, he just, I, it just strikes me as he's going to have the perfect demeanor and personality for this, right? Like he's, he, you know, he, he. Is a student of the game and he respects the the history and obviously respects Gretzky. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to him when he was he was getting to his 500th goal and I happened to be on hand. and He said, "You know, I'm going to get to 500, first Russian to do so. Someone will come and break that record, and and that's you know that's great." And he says, "But the record, no one will touch Gretzky." And <laughs> now, you know. Uh, Two hundred goals later, all of a sudden, it's uh, it's in the realm of possibility. I just think he's got the right personality for it, and it will make it, it will make it compelling because of who he is. If he's able to stay healthy and 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 narrow the gap, do you do you agree? Disagree? Yeah, no, for sure. And
1: uh, and, and I and I also important by the way. I remember the first time uh, when Nick Litscher won the con Smythe. I believe you correct me if I'm wrong. I, it was my column that night for ESPN.com, but my yeah. memory's foggy. But I think he was the first European captain to win the Cup or the Conn one or the other. And um, okay, I just remember I think, yeah. feel, uh, feeling how significant that moment was. Uh, you know, arguably the you know one of the top three defensemen in the history of the game, but but representative of the again the the, the continual evolution of the NHL as an international sport. And, and I think, you know, what Ovechkin has done, uh, and if he ends up either, you know, one, two, at worst three, I mean, he will pass Jager. So, you know, the impact that it has for so many young boys and girls around the world to say, no matter where you, you know, of course, yes. we've always seen Russians as, as a great hockey nation, but seeing is still believing, and to have Ovechkin up there with Wayne Gretzky and Gordy Howe is still, to me, a wonderful representation again of the fact that you know this sport has grown uh, through the Canadian borders and through the American border, and and I, I think that's a big part of it for me in terms of the legacy is how important it is that he's such a proud Russian, and and you know what people back home for him think of him and would think of him if he
0: achieved the unthinkable. I, I think that's important. Yep. Couldn't agree more, my friend. Um, all right, so we are going to close out the podcast with our chat with Pete DeBoer, but uh, just before we get a little housekeeping stuff here to uh, to finish up, I, I meant should have mentioned this when we were talking about the Leafs, but uh, if you're ever interested in, in the, uh, the daily comings and goings with the Leafs, you should check out uh, the fabulous podcast, which is produced by our Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle, called the Leaf Report. You know, of all our podcasts, that's like a name. I, I that's a title I can completely get behind. Leaf Report with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle. I, you know, you don't have to think too much about it. So it's, I like it's kind that. of boring,
1: yeah. <laughs> but Myrtle, you know, Myrtle can be pretty boring, though. Let's be fair.
0: Well, no, but he's he's right on the mark.
1: So. Uh, I'm just right. kidding. And, so, well, there's and, and, no
0: danger of him listening to our podcast, so he's not going to know we said that. Oh, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure you must listen to it. I think it's his job. Um, and I, I'm going to, as I like to every once in a while. got last thoughts, anything on your mind Are you I mean, you know what I'm going to prompt you here now that I've asked you for your thoughts, and I'm going to give you one. but I thought of you, of course, when Ryan Smith was announced as being inducted in the IIHF uh, Hall of Fame, and you're right. the man you you're you're the, you're the man who who coined the term from and on and the term that he was known by for years and years captain canada that's your man yeah,
1: that was me indeed those were fun years and that's for those listening that's because a lot of those uh, world hockey championships for ryan smith always said yes to team canada i happened to cover a lot of those back in my early days at the canadian press in the early 2000s and ryan always said yes one year showed up uh i think with a uh, a pretty serious ankle injury which he hid from everyone so he could play again. Uh, that was Ryan Smith and uh, that's why I was so happy a couple of years ago. I'm on the selection committee for the Order of Hockey Canada and uh, Ryan was in, in, inducted in the Order of Hockey Canada which of course is kind of a no-brainer given that his nickname is Captain Canada but the double HF honour is obviously international and, uh, and that would have really hit home I think for Ryan judging from his, his reaction on Twitter and pretty neat, you know, it's, uh, you, you and I share that, our, our love for international hockey and, um, you know, the, the, the NHL, you know, Olympic tournaments that we've covered together are at the top of my career. I mean, it's funny. I, I, I get asked by friends sometimes to give my top five and invariably for the top five are Olympic moments. So I, I guess, you know, that I'd
0: like to see the NHL players, uh, back in the Olympics. I'm with you with you um, alright so hang on we'll be talking to Pete DeBoer momentarily and uh, then we'll uh, we'll close it out so good job by you to follow my lead on Ryan Smith I, I knew you'd want to give uh, give some love to Captain Canada so good stuff that was a layup come on man that by the was way did you enjoy Fine.
1: hearing all the, the hammering from my continued house renos
0: I didn't, you know what I didn't even really no, notice okay. it that much So you probably thought it was inside your head well, no, not in St. Louis. All right, everybody. As promised, Vegas Golden Knights head coach Pete DeBoer joining us. Uh, Pete, I, 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 we'll get to the Golden Knights and what's going on with your new team. But I, I'm I'm just fascinated to 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 find out what it was like for you that period of time between when you were done in San Jose and when you got the call from Vegas. Does it? seem like a blur or was there a moment where you were able to exhale or what was what was that process like for you
2: oh a a blur is a good word for it it (laughs) was uh there was a whole lot of things going on um you know i i'll I'll keep the story as brief as possible but uh, (laughs) i had been down in florida with my daughter and my wife uh actually looking for a place down there before my daughter took off for a, a semester overseas for school and we were spending some time together and uh yeah, I got a call uh, as I was sitting by the pool with a Vegas number. I didn't have uh, Kelly McCrimmon's number in my phone, so it just came up Las Vegas. I, I picked it up, and uh, and it was Kelly, and, uh, you know, asked me if I would have some interest. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, you know, of the the 30 jobs available, uh, you know, the, the – the fact that Vegas called me you know would have been way down the
0: list <laughs>
2: probably probably with the three other teams that have fired me right at the bottom of the list of teams that uh, I thought I might get another opportunity with um, just based on our history and um, you know but it, it was a it was a great call and it took me all of about half a second to say absolutely if there was an opening I'd I'd uh, walked to uh, to take a job like that with this group and where this organization is uh in the building process and the chance to win and and what I knew about them, you know, from from playing in the division against them. So um and then from there it was a blur within 48 hours I was standing on the bench in Ottawa coaching uh uh this group of guys who, you know, we had been in some heated battles with for the last 3 years uh, in San Jose in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and Pete, I'm sure part of the reason you also didn't think you'd get a call from Vegas is that I think a lot of people were surprised by Gerard Gallant's firing, no different than a lot of us were surprised by Pete the Board's firing in San Jose and surprised by Peter Laviolette's firing in Nashville. It's one of those wacky years where the coaches are uh, are taking the brunt of it, I guess. And, and I wondered for you uh, how you could put into words what a year it's been for the industry, for the coaching fraternity.
2: Yeah, real interesting, Pierre. I, I uh, you know, you look at you look at some of the guys, you know, I I wouldn't ex- I wouldn't have expected Mike Babcock after the season, you know, 100 and something points last year and what what they've done over the last few years, you know, to get fired 20 25 games in. I went to the conference final last year was gone at the 30 32 game mark. Um, you know, Gerard after that, Pete Laviolette after that. So it's uh it, it, it has been a tough year on coaches I think it's probably unfortunately the new reality um, with no movement clauses and and the cap and uh, the lack of the ability to, to really shuffle your deck as far as roster goes during the year um, you know unfortunately uh, you know that's the way you can shake up teams and and you know there has been a history that uh, as coaches we can't uh, hide from that, uh, th- there have been some successful ones where, you know, they've turned it around and gone on to win a Stanley cup, you know, whether it's, uh, back to Dan Balsma or, or Mike Sullivan or, uh, obviously, uh, Craig Berube. Um, yeah. so, you know, I think everyone's trying to catch that lightning in a bottle and, uh, you know, so it, it's probably the, the reality of, of coaching now and probably in the future.
0: Yeah, Pete, when you come into a situation like you did in in Vegas, where a team that is right in the hunt for a playoff berth and certainly loaded with talent up and down the lineup, does it change how you have to approach things, you know, coming in 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 midstream, but also coming in with the expectation that, listen, we're not we're not in rebuild mode here. We're not in, you know, patience isn't. What what people are looking at right now? that's like okay, we need to push this team forward and make sure we're in the top eight in the West when the dust clears. And I wonder if that changes how you approach it in terms of you know what you're you know how you implement systems or how you uh, connect with players. I'm just wondering what that uh, has been like for you.
2: Yeah, that's been really interesting, Scott. You know, I I, I talked to Paul Maurice because uh, I had never taken a team over midseason before. Um, right. It always been in the summer. With a with a training camp and the ability to plan and lay out a uh, you know a, a monthly calendar and how you're going to implement things. Um, <clears throat> so I talked to Paul. He had he had done it twice in his career. He gave me some some great tips and some great advice. You know, starting with you know how do you walk into the dressing room with with 20 guys that uh, you know couldn't stand you or your team six months ago <laughs> and and now you're you're in the foxhole with them. Uh, So it was, uh, I had had some real good uh, advice from Paul Um, and and it really centered around just try not to to do too much. I think fight the urge to to go in and, and change everything. You've really got to pick a couple of the things that you really want to focus on. Um, dial in on those, and then, you know, the rest will will take care of itself once you're comfortable. And so that's what we've tried to do. Um, there was a couple areas we wanted to get at. Uh, one was the penalty kill, and the other was, you know, just the defensive structure, just not giving up as much. Um, so we, we've started in those areas, and, you know, it has become comfortable. I got an opportunity to bring Steve Spott with me, which is, has been another guy that um, knows – my system, what I want, can teach it without me having to spend time with them on it. So that's been real helpful. And I'll be honest, the, the group is great. They're smart. Uh, they want to learn. They want to get better. I think uh, they were rattled. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, they they felt very strongly about Gerard and his staff, and and really took it personally that good people lost their jobs because of their record. And uh, you know, that that shows a lot about the group too. Well, and I know, Pete, uh, I interviewed
1: Gerald Gallant last week, uh, as, you know, first time really that he had talked about his firing, and he, he said people were making too much of the thing you that you and him had <laughs> during the series last year. You know, he said you guys had made amends uh, even before the end of the series about it and wished you uh, nothing but the best in your endeavor. And I think as competitive as you guys get with each other, I, I think back to the, the Hitch Tortorella series uh, and over the years, you know, A lot of things get said between coaches, but it's, uh, I find it's a lot like players, you know, once it's over and especially as coaches, I think you all sort of have to have each other's back at the end of the day, you know, do you feel that way? I mean, it's in the moment, it's different, but
2: yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, you know, we're in the heat of the battle, you know, in a lot of those situations, you're, you're protecting your players or defending your group, um, And we all know that, you know, and actually Gerard and I uh, talked uh, prior to us playing each other to start this season, had a good, had a good uh, talk about it. And, um, you know, I, I got, uh, I don't know if you remember, but Devils Rangers, I got into it with torts. Uh, This is going back years ago in the conference (laughs) final. And that's right. You know I run into him and and uh, you know we speak uh, all the time. yeah, I, I think there's a tremendous respect in the coaches and fraternity for each other. And we all understand that you know sometimes we'll say things or sometimes you know we'll do things in the heat of the battle. Uh, and most of the time it's it's to defend our players and and we get that. And uh, you know, I think that was the case both ways,
0: and uh, you know, it's
2: uh, in the rearview mirror.
0: I know you've got, uh, you've got to get going in a minute or two, but I'm curious just to go back to what you were saying about you know, a team that you know, there was such emotion uh, during that epic seven-game set in the first round last year. A- has there been a moment or has there been a player that you've interacted with where you were like, okay, it, it's a, it, this is going to be okay, or this is, I'm glad I'm here, this is a good fit for me? Has there been sort of one of those aha moments in the short time that you've been behind the bench there?
2: Uh, you know what? I, I I would say Ryan Reeves. He was probably the biggest lightning rod obviously for our team. Um, (laughs) you know, and, uh, you know, intimidating guy, you know, he would, he would stare down the bench. He'd stare down the coaches. He, he was doing his job and, uh, you know, obviously him and Kane and him and Jumbo and, you know, I mean, there were some wild games there. And, um, so I think, uh, You know, when, you know, he was one of the first guys to to accept uh, me coming in. I think he he said in the newspaper that, uh, you know, he offered to give me a hug, which he did. And I declined, but (laughs) he might have squeezed the life out of me. I was worried. (laughs) Yeah. uh but uh that was probably the biggest one I, you know that uh i think he's such a big part of the room he's got gr- such great leadership he's, he's a big part of the identity of this group that i think the way he handled it i think you know really put me at ease and made me realize that you know that was probably not going to be a problem
0: yeah very good well, thanks
1: for your time, Pete, and uh, if we had more time, I'd ask you what you think Jumbo's going to do at the trade deadline, but I'm
0: just I think we get got time <laughs> for that, so we got time for that if Pete wants to answer that question.
2: He just, got, he just got his 1,500th point, so it's an unbelievable career. Amazing, amazing guy. Yeah, yeah. he's going to play stuff. another
1: five years, so there
2: you go. <laughs> I don't good. know about that, but uh, all right, fellas, well, thank you. I'll talk yeah, soon. Th-
0: yeah, thanks for having uh, having the time for us, Pete. Really appreciate right. it. See you yeah. guys. That was great, it, uh, Pierre. You probably know or remember that uh, I spent some time with Pete DeBoer last year and worked up a piece during the Western Conference mm-hmm. Final, and actually had a long Perfect chat piece. with Paul Maurice about their, you know, their relationship. It goes back to when they were. Very young men coaching the uh, Windsor Spitfires, and and so it, it it it's obvious that those two have remained very close over the years, and and that they rely on each other for support and advice along the way. And I wonder what you make of the fit with Pete DeBoer in Vegas. I, I, you know, they're one of those teams. As as we're chatting today, they hold down the third spot in the Pacific Division, where the standings change on an hourly basis. And uh, no no question, that team is not where I thought they were going to be. I just thought they would be an absolute lock to make the playoffs. I would have put them at the very bottom of my list at the start of the season. You know, where where would a potential coaching change be? What do you like about the fit with Pete DeBoer coming in um, and replacing Gerard Gallant there? Well, he's a great coach, and 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 you know this this all broke
1: the same day that we talked about all this back in mid January when they made the shocking change, and and I'll say again what I said then because I think it's the only way I can put it. I, Pete DeBoer is one of my favorite coaches. I think he's they just hired a guy that is a serial winner, but I would also say they fired a guy who's a great coach, Gerald Gallant, and I'm not yep. sure that it was justified. So. It's a weird thing for me to talk about because I've rarely felt this conflicted about the guy going out and the guy coming in, in the sense that I think they're both really good at what they do, and they both have the ability, I think, to bring out the best of this Vegas Golden Knight team, but only one will get the opportunity now. So no question, it would not not shock me at all that Pete DeBoer has the Vegas Golden Knights in the Western Conference Final, and that they come out of the Pacific, but... Again, I'm not convinced that Gerald Gallant wouldn't have been able to do that either. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. It's an, it's still a bit mystifying to me that Gerald Gallant was fired. But certainly not mystifying that the Golden Knights thought Pete DeBoer would be a great coach. Because I think yeah. that's true. Yeah, good stuff.
0: All right, my friend. Well, as always, the tremendous work by you. Um, as we always say at this stage of the podcast, if you... Are listening, we'd love it if you rated um, and subscribed to Two Man Advantage on Apple. So, if you click on the show URL, which is theathletic.com/slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. Of course, you should be subscribing, that's it, goes without saying. Mm-hmm. And, my friend, next week when we chat, we will be hard up against the trade deadline so very exciting time i uh, wonder what kind of news will unfold uh, that we'll be discussing next week but uh, as always feel like you were at the top of your game today good job
1: oh man big hug from me the same way ryan <laughs> reeves wanted to hug beat the board i'm i'm <laughs> doing it across airwaves right now for you
0: all right brother you got it right on right on